Mandy and I were at a conference in uh, Causeway Coast Vineyard this week in Northern Ireland uh, called Encounter More, and we certainly did. Um, we actually went to the conference asking God some pretty serious questions. And one of the questions was, God, do you want us to continue here in Oxford at Oxford Vineyard, or do you want us to go and do something else, maybe something like the retreats that we've been doing or, or something like that? And it's not a question that we ask lightly. And, uh, you know, the, one of the speakers was, is very prophetic. You know, he gets phone numbers and all that kind of thing for people. And I thought, you know, maybe I need to just engineer an opportunity to uh, get him to prophesy and see what he says. But I didn't need to do that at all because uh, I received five different prophecies in the time that we were there, four of them in one day. Um, the first one was after the morning session. A guy came over and said do you mind if I give you a prophecy? Uh, which, for me, is a silly question, because the answer is always yes. And uh, he said, I looked over, and I felt God saying, Psalm 37, verse 3 of you, turn, uh, sorry, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And then he said, um, there's a sense that you are the right people in the right place doing the right things at the right time. And he repeated that three times. Now, I'm not very smart. I come from Oxford, but I think I got the answer that I needed there. And uh, it wasn't that, you know, we were desperately saying to God, please, 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 can we do something else? Uh, I would actually have been really gutted if God had said, go somewhere else, uh, because I love this church. I love what God's doing here. I love the promises that he's given us. I love the people that he's brought here over the years and are still here and are yet to come. And I'm excited about what God is going to do. And uh, so that was good news to me. Uh, anyway, there was another person that I was chatting to, Roger. Many of you know Roger from Causeway Coast. And we were chatting, and a girl went past. She said, oh, you must come and prophesy over Andrew. So she did. And then uh, there was another one later on. And then in the evening, um, some of you remember a group of interns came over, and Alison was one of those. She gathered together a little posse to come and prophesy over us. And Mark was one of the guys who had been over as well. And they knew nothing about the question we had been asking God. And, uh, you know, they just sat there quietly listening to God. And I thought, is God going to say anything? You know, have we got the answer that we need? And then Mark said, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. I think he said it about four or five times. So in that one day, we got the answer about eight times from God. So um, I'm, I'm convinced, and I'm very, very happy. They also uh, talked about some other things that they wouldn't have had a clue uh, about. So I've been, uh, for three years, I did cider and apple pressing and apple juice, and um, didn't do it last year, and I really felt that I was meant to, felt something stirring that I was m meant to do it again. So I put some dates in the diary, and thought about them and thought, oh, I don't know, should I be doing that? And uh, Mark said, um, there's a business that you've run before and uh, God wants you to uh, start it up again. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So, uh, uh, that, and then Mandy and I in the afternoon had been walking along the beach. You know, it was a tough gig, that one. And uh, we were talking about... As God has said, stay in Oxford, what's that going to look like and what are the plans? What's, what are the things that God has been dreaming over this church since the creation of the world? And uh, we were talking about community and then 
one of the girls who was there prophesied and was talking about community. And we thought, okay, and about the plans that God has for us. And so um, we've come back excited. And uh, uh, we're really looking forward to what God has for us next because he's not finished with us. He's made that very clear. And uh, in spite of uh, our weaknesses and our lack of strength and all that, God is very capable of blessing us, and he's determined to do so because he's a good father, he loves us, and he is determined to bless you. You know, if that's the only thing you hear this morning, take that away with you. God is determined to bless you. And you can run from him like Jonah did. You can do all sorts of crazy things to try and get away and be disobedient to God, but he's going to pull you back and he is going to bless you because that is his plan for your life. So if you'd like to stand, uh, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come again. And uh, it's another opportunity to just say yes. Because God is saying yes to this church and uh, to what he's done in this church over the last 26 years. But he's also saying yes to what he's doing in the future. And I think he wants to say yes to each of us who are part of this church about the things that he wants to do. And Father, I ask that you'd release your dreams over our church, that as you sing over us, even though we don't physically hear your voice, I ask that as you sing over us, that uh, your dreams, your life, your promises would come into effect, that our hearts would come alive, that our souls would become responsive to, uh, to what you're doing. And so we just want to say, Jesus, yes. Yes to everything that you have for us. Yes to everything that you want to do. And whether it's here in Oxford or somewhere else, it really doesn't matter because we are sold out for you. Anything you say, Jesus, we will do. Any place you call us to go, we will go. But thank you that you've called us to be here in Oxford, most of us. And uh, pray for your blessing on Owen and Karis over in Wales as well, and the work that you're doing in them. But Lord, for those of us here in Oxford, we just want to say yes to what you're doing. And in Whitney, and in Bicester, and in the other towns and villages around Oxford, we ask that new life would spring up. Something beyond our imagination, something beyond our expectations. And we thank you that you are a God who is determined to bless, because you are so good. And we celebrate that today. Amen. Okay, grab yourselves a seat. We're going to continue uh, this series we're doing on acts of God. And uh, so let's, let's just jump straight in. How did a group of uneducated country bumpkins who had fled in fear suddenly turn the world upside down? I don't know if you ever feel like that that you feel that it's just too big, it's too much. For these people, you know, the, the, uh, their leader had just been killed. Everything was stacked against them. They were just feeling full of fear, completely overwhelmed by the impossibility of the situation. The followers of Jesus were a mixture of employees, small business owners, prostitutes, political agitators, and social outcasts. 
not the kind of people that you and I would choose to change the world, but God chose them. None of them were highly educated or from positions in, of authority in society. Not a single one. As the church grew, that changed, but in the original 120, they weren't really the kind of people that you would expect to change the world. And on top of that, when Jesus was put to death, they panicked. They fled. They lived in fear that they too were going to be rounded up and crucified, and they had a very realistic reason for that fear as well, because that's what the authorities tended to do in those days. And so they hid behind locked doors. But all of that changed when Jesus appeared to them again, and then they were filled to overflowing. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that completely transformed everything. Total surrender to God releases all God's resources, including the power and the boldness to be able to use it. Last time I spoke a few weeks back, we looked at how Peter and John were used by God to heal a 40-year-old cripple who had been unable to walk from birth. An outstanding miracle. And they were quick to take that opportunity presented to them to tell all the people who were gathered there who recognized this cripple as someone who had been begging at the temple every single day for year after year. They were quick to take that opportunity to tell people that it was Jesus who had healed this man and that every one of them could come into relationship with Jesus. They, uh, they were bold. In this series of talks, we've seen that an act of God is not a natural disaster, but when God uses his power to bless his people. He created everyone. He loves everyone with no exceptions. It is his desire that every person will experience the incredible love that he has and be able to respond to him. And that's the journey that he invites us into. Let's pick up the story in the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 4. I've called this talk to boldly go, because that's what they did. Um, this is a slightly longer passage than I would usually use. And so I'm going to read some of it and tell some of it just to break it up. And hopefully by the end of it, some of you will still be awake. But we're told how Peter and John spoke to the crowd who had gathered because the crippled man had been healed. And... They were proclaiming, Jesus is the one you need to follow. And the, uh, the Jewish leaders were unhappy with what they were saying. And that is an English understatement. Acts chapter 4, verse 2, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead, eternal life. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. So the miracle happened at the time of prayer, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Peter and John had spent the rest of the afternoon telling people about Jesus. The people who heard the message, many of them believed it, and the numbers swelled as thousands of people that day put their trust in Jesus. Won't that be exciting when we see that here in Oxford? Because we are going to. Because revival's coming. Because that's what God has spoken over this church and over this city. That's why God founded this church uh, on healings and miracles, and he's uh, still going to do the same thing. That's what we're going to see. <clears throat> Somebody could get happy about that. Yeah. This is my excited face, by the way. Yeah. Or as John Mumford says, sometimes I'm excited, I just tell, forget to tell my face. 
So anyway, chapter, back in whatever chapter it was, uh, verse 5, the next day the council of rule and all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, you might want to underline that in your Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit, that is the source of all of this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of our people. So he's really polite. You know, there's nothing offensive about the way he says this. He's, but he says, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Incredible boldness in the face of some pretty stiff and intimidating opposition. But Peter didn't hold, hold back at all, did he? He boldly proclaimed the truth about Jesus. If you want to get to God, you have to come via Jesus. There is no other way. And the members of the council, the religious leaders, really didn't know what to do. They were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. They could see that they were not educated because they didn't wear the, the garb that uh, the religious educated people wore. And they also recognized that they'd been with Jesus. They, they'd seen them in the crowd. You know, the disciples did the crowd control for Jesus. So they'd been there at the front keeping people back from crushing Jesus. And they'd seen them there. But they could also see the man who'd been healed standing in the middle of the crowd. And so there was nothing they could do to try and contradict the claims of healing. They were in a complete bind. So they, they withdrew and discussed amongst themselves, you know, what are we going to do about this? You know, this is terrible. God's just healed someone. The God we worship. So anyway, they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than God? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. You might want to underline that bit as well. We cannot stop telling what we've seen and heard. So if you have a story, go and tell it. If you don't have a story, tell somebody else's. If you hear about a miracle, go and tell about that miracle. The council then threatened them further. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. But everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So Peter and John went back to the other believers. They told them about the threats. They told them about everything that happened. Their response was, verse 23, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, verse 29, now, O Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Their prayer was answered. They asked for boldness. They got boldness. They went out with boldness. And they saw more people healed, more people coming to faith. 
And so the first heading, you can probably guess, is that they boldly went. And one of the things that, as I've been reading through the story, that amazes me, it struck me, uh, is just the incredible boldness that Peter and John had. Yes, they had seen an amazing healing. But then they were arrested, they were thrown in prison, uh, not like the prisons we have in this country. They were then dragged in front of a very intimidating group of men. For us, it would be the equivalent of being thrown in front of a group of maybe a uh, hundred or so senior church leaders, professors from Oxford University, uh, high-ranking judges and MPs, a group of very clever, very powerful people. I think I would find that quite intimidating. And yet they spoke with courage and clarity. They didn't get distracted by the injustice of having been thrown in prison overnight. They didn't get distracted by anything else. <clears throat> the one thing they wanted to communicate was Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Another good verse to underline. And I don't think that was the only time they said that, was it? That was what they'd been proclaiming right the way through the day. That's what they'd been saying to the crowds. And so it was the natural thing that just overflowed from them. Jesus is the answer. So anyway, they were further threatened by the authorities. And those threats were not idle. Because this was the very group of people who had crucified Jesus. And would not hesitate to treat them in the same way. And so when they gathered back together with the other believers, they prayed for boldness. Now, because life is so comfortable for us, it is easy to brush aside the seriousness of this situation as we read it. But for many of our fellow believers around the world, this uh, story rings very true. A friend of ours in Central Asia, we'll call him Ben for security's sake, uh, we've uh, had meals in his house and a wonderful guy. He came up against the authorities in his country. He was proclaiming Jesus in a bold yet sensitive way, not trying to put himself at risk, but you know, clearly proclaiming his faith in Jesus. And as a result, uh, one day as he was walking home, a gang of hired thugs beat him up. Soon after that, his house was raided by the secret police and his wife and children were threatened. A number of days later, he was again jumped on by a crowd of thugs on his way home, and he was beaten badly. He managed to get his family out of the country fairly quickly, and then eventually he also left the country because he was found guilty of treason against the state, which carries the death penalty. And since then, over a period of a few months now, six months or more, he has moved from country to country trying to get refugee status, trying to stay hidden because the secret police in his country are still trying to find him because they are still trying to kill him. And uh, there are details uh, of the story as to why they're so keen to get hold of him. Uh, some friends of his and uh, who I met a couple of weeks ago saw him uh, back in February in hiding, and they said he was unrecognizable because of the trauma that he's been through. If they'd passed him on the street, they would have just walked straight past. This story is very real. 215 million. It's a big number, isn't it? 
215 million Christians are persecuted for their faith every year. Just try, I, I, try and get your head around that kind of a number. For them, it would be so easy to pull back in fear because this persecution is very real. It's, you know, at lower levels, it's getting beaten up, it's having your job taken away, it's being refused, you know, food and water. Um, for others, it's the threat of uh, imprisonment and death and torture. But our calling is clear to proclaim Jesus until he comes back. And all we have to face is a little bit of embarrassment, perhaps a little bit of rejection on the street or from friends, maybe a few swear words. I've had that when we've done the miracle question. It's been quite interesting, having people shouting swear words at you as they walk off down the street. Not the kind of thing I would choose to do as an Englishman, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, are we going to proclaim Jesus or not? They boldly went. They boldly spoke. They were clear with their message. Second thing was that they boldly prayed. And it strikes me in this story how they prayed. Verse 20, now, now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They'd stepped out in faith to heal a crippled man. Then they boldly and courageously stood their ground. But they weren't satisfied. They wanted more. They had just seen the number of believers grow by several thousand that day or the day before. But they weren't satisfied because there are more people who need to know Jesus. And so long as there is one person in the Oxford area who doesn't know Jesus, we still have a job to do. And so they asked God for more boldness, more healings, more miracles, more signs, and more wonders. There was no shrinking back. There, as far as we can tell from the wording of the prayer that we're given, they didn't even pray for protection. You know, I've been in prayer meetings where we've spent way too long, you know, being afraid of the, uh, the intimidation of Satan and praying about that kind of thing. They didn't even pray for protection at this point, although they were human, and so I'm sure they did at some point pray for that. But the focus of their prayer is recorded for us because this is what God wants us to know about. The focus of their prayer was to ask God for more and to not be satisfied. In the midst of an incredible revival, thousands of people being born again, to continue to pray for more. More boldness, more healing power, more miracles, more signs and wonders. When we see acts of God, they are wonders. They are beyond our expectation. They make people sit up and take notice. They make people wonder. After the clay shoot a few weeks back, I was chatting to one of the guys who came along, uh, who doesn't follow Jesus, doesn't know Jesus. Um, and as we chatted, he said, you know, I never think about God. I have no concept of God. I have no feeling of a need for God or anything like that. And so I told him some stories about how God heals today. And I deliberately didn't pick on the, you know, God healed someone's headache. Uh, I picked on some of the bigger stories of God adding bone into people's legs and 
it was interesting to see his response. He was struggling because he had no place in his intellectual grid for God. No place in his worldview for God being able to heal people. Science heals people. And so this completely came up and smacked against and started to break down his worldview because he had no place to put this. And it made him wonder. It made him sit up and think, is this guy talking to me completely doolally or is there some reality in this? I won't tell you what his conclusion was. You can make your own. <laughs> but it challenged his preconceptions about life. So it makes people wonder. But also, acts of God are signs. They are signs that point to Jesus. They have a purpose. Just as that uh, fire exit sign up there points to the fire exit, if there wasn't a fire exit, it would be completely useless, wouldn't it? And if you have a fire exit, you need a sign to point to it. And that's what these acts of God do. These healings and miracles that we see in the Bible and that we see happening amongst us, and if you aren't seeing many, then please come out on the street with me for healing on the streets because every time we see God heal people. If you're not seeing people healed in church when you pray for them, then you need to get out and pray for non-Christians because that ignites something different. I don't understand why God, it does that. God does it that way. I don't understand the theology of that, but that's something that we've seen time and time again, that if we're just praying for Christians, we probably won't see many healings. But if we get out there and pray for people who don't know Jesus, people who are far from God, then things start to kick in and we start to see an awful lot more. They are signs that point to Jesus. And sometimes people don't make the link. They're very happy to have their shoulder healed for the pain to be gone and being able to move their arm again. And so we have to make the link for them. We join up the dots. And uh, the intention is that, that these are signs that make people wonder. Is Jesus real? Is he alive today? How come when I don't believe in God, this person has just been healed supernaturally? On Friday evening a week ago, uh, a number of us gathered with the people from the other churches across Oxford for City Cry to pray for revival to come to this area. And it was a lovely mixture of some quite traditional Christians and uh, some very Pentecostal Christians and some, uh, you know, many different nations gathered there as well. It was a wonderful evening. And we prayed boldly. And I want to encourage you to do that. But that's not enough. And it is possible that sometimes our, our prayer meetings are an excuse for not going out and being bold as well. And as we read this story, we see they prayed for boldness, and then they assumed that God was going to answer their prayer, and they went out again. And so they stepped out boldly. And as we read through the next chapters of the story of the book of Acts, we see the followers of Jesus being bold and coming up against some pretty big consequences as well. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. The result was many more people coming to faith. Wonderful, but also the apostles were thrown into prison. You know, what price are you willing to pay for Jesus? Chapter 7. Stephen uh, worked for the church there doing their compassion ministry, uh, was stoned to death, and a great persecution broke out against the church. 
because he was proclaiming Jesus. Chapter 8, Philip, another of the compassion ministry guys, had to flee Jerusalem. Lost his home, lost his job, lost everything, uh, fled as an asylum seeker to Samaria. And he just took that as another opportunity to talk about Jesus. He prayed for the sick. He proclaimed Jesus. And the result was he saw an amazing revival sweep that city. And any time we face a problem, it's an opportunity for the power of God to be released. Whenever we see a problem in somebody's life, it's an opportunity for one of these signs and wonders to come in and for God to break through with his kingdom. Later on, chapter 12, James, the leader of the church, co-leader of the church in Jerusalem, was beheaded. Peter, his co-leader, was thrown into prison, but an angel helped him escape. Uh, Those who are left continue to speak boldly about Jesus and to pray for the sick and to plant churches and to go into the surrounding area to tell about Jesus. Bold prayer with bold action. And the third thing is our opportunity. And you could add in brackets, which requires bold prayer and bold action. Those who know more about these things than I do say that although people in this country have less knowledge of God, uh, I heard this week, is it 96% of children have no contact with church at all in this country. And so we're growing a generation of, of people who have no idea about the stories about Jesus. Jesus is just a swear word for them. That's why the Oxford School's chaplaincy, of which Mandy is a, a trustee, is so important. People have less knowledge about the Bible, and less understanding of who Jesus is, but at the same time, there is increased hunger for spiritual things. And that's why you see people going in their droves towards Eastern religion. They think they've tried Christianity. They've seen traditional Christianity with its lack of power and lack of reality. They don't understand that there is so much more that the Bible teaches than what we've currently experienced. And so this is a wake-up call for the church. There are people out there who are open, hungry to being introduced to Jesus. And our mission is simply to find them and make the introduction. There are times when it's easier than others. An example of that was the opportunity that opened up with the healing of the crippled man. There was a sign pointing to Jesus, and they said, this man's been healed. You need to get right with God. You need to open your lives to Jesus. And and that was what happened. If we can move... Oh, you've already got it up. Okay. Um, This diagram I've just copied from a a book, and um, there's a lot more in there than we can look at. But um, this diagram helps to describe the journey that people take in coming to know God. And it explains how people have a lot further to travel to that point of being able to understand that they need and that they can say yes to Jesus and come into a relationship with him. So back in the Acts of the Apostles in Jerusalem, um, there is no cultural gap to overcome. They were there at a religious festival. They were there wanting to worship God. Their hearts were already open, tuned in to God. They were saying, like Muslims do do at the moment during Ramadan, God, we want to experience you. And so they were right here. All they needed to know was, Jesus is the one who's covered your sin 
surrender your life to Jesus today. And in the thousands, they did that. 3,000 people came to faith in one day. The challenges that we have today is that our culture has moved away uh, from understanding anything to do with Jesus. And so there is that huge cultural gap that we have to overcome even before people are ready to get to that point of being able to say yes to Jesus. And uh, then there are these piles of rubble that uh, are off to the left there that represent further obstacles, questions that people have that need to be answered. All Peter had to do was explain, Jesus is the one who is the way to get you back to God. Your sin is paid for, and uh, these people knew the Old Testament, they knew about the Lamb of God, they knew about the sacrifices, and so for Peter to be able to say, Jesus is the sacrifice that has paid for your sin, easy. But today, we're told that the average person needs at least 15 to 20 different encounters with the good news about Jesus before they get to this position and are ready to make a decision. They need to know. Why do you say there is a loving God and God does nothing about suffering? Why is it that we see famines and wars? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, all those kinds of questions. Hasn't science science disproved uh, the Bible and other things like that? And, uh, and so we need to help people work their way through these different encounters. And it may be that uh, having a chat with a friend or m- maybe they would pick up a book or something if they're that way inclined and they would read about how science, in fact, doesn't disprove Christianity but exactly the opposite, that science actually points towards God rather than away, which is why that uh, the number of scientists who are followers of Jesus are there's a higher percentage than most other jobs in the UK. So we we need to help people. Healing on the streets, somebody gets healed. A clear healing, a radical healing. You know, we've had people who, uh, they've barely been able to walk, and God has healed them. Every bit of pain has gone from their body. And you think, well, how come you don't want to know the person who has just healed you? It's because they're right over there. And it... They've moved a little bit closer. It may have moved them three or four steps, hopefully. But uh, we need to help people on their journey towards God. One of the great tools that we're given to help us move towards Jesus and help people to come to that point where they can make their own decision is the Alpha Course. And it's a while since we've done it in this church, but uh, for a number of months, the leadership team have been discussing this and we've decided that we're going to run a church-wide alpha course this autumn. Church-wide meaning for the whole of our church, not all the churches in Oxford. Um, And I'm really excited about this. I think this is something that God is stirring and it's the right time for us to do it. We've also found a fantastic venue that has been described as the most cool venue outside of Brooklyn. So uh, if you haven't been there yet, some of us are going next Sunday evening. Uh, Tap Social, it's a great place to be. Um, And uh, they seem pleased to have us as well. Usually it would be £200 per per night. They're not charging us at all, provided we buy drinks. So uh, we have favor there as well. So to let you know more about what's happening, I know you you probably, I'm sure you all read the weekly email this week and saw it there. 
But we'd like to invite you to come along to Tap Social on Thursday the 14th of June for a meal and an alpha preview so that you can see the venue, you can see how it would work, you can see where you will be inviting your friends along to, and you can see the kind of material that we'll be using as well, because the alpha material has been refilmed, it's shorter, it's more up-to-date, uh, and uh, I think you'll love it. And uh, so at that evening on Thursday the 14th of June, we will explain everything, so please get that date in your diary, we would love to have you come along. It is a ticketed event, the tickets are free, but if you don't have a ticket, I'm afraid we won't be able to have you because we do need to know numbers. The venue needs to know numbers and we need to know numbers for food as well. So from tomorrow, you will be able to get uh, your tickets via the website. So get the date in the diary, Thursday the 14th of June, in case you didn't quite catch that. And then I also ask you to start thinking about who you could invite. Now, realistically, not everyone we invite is going to want to come along. Um, but some people might. And uh, so we can spread the net wide, just invite anybody. Um, and we'll talk more about that as well. Uh, so there's more information uh, in the weekly email. There's more information on the website. If you have any questions about it, please do ask me. Um, but this is going to be something that we all do together. So we're not going to be running connection groups next term. We're all going to do this together. And... Uh, I'll explain in the, on the evening of the 14th of June exactly what that looks like, the different teams that we need. and So even if you don't have a, an unchurched friend to come along, there is a role for you to be able to play. Now, that's not the only opportunity that we're given, is it, by any means? We can invite our friends here on a Sunday to our community Sundays, to social events, really anything that we love doing. We've got a women's event coming up on uh, Saturday the 14th of July. So just remember the 14th, June and July, and you'll, you'll have the dates that you, you need. Uh, ladies tea. Uh, there's going to be another uh, men's clay shoot in September and another ladies event um, wine tasting, I think, in, uh, in October. So those are, those are just easy things to be able to invite friends along to. Really, invite your friends along to what you love doing. The fact that you are friends with them means that you enjoy at least some of the same things. That's why you're friends. And so the chances are, if you enjoy it, that they will also enjoy it. The explosive growth of the early church came about because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who we have here with us today. But it also came about because ordinary people were filled with boldness, prayed boldly, and stepped out courageously. And God wants to do the same thing today. And let's not read the Bible through religious eyes. These were ordinary people. These were people with the same political disagreements that we would probably have if we started talking about Brexit or anything else like that. You know, these, these, these were not super saints. These were people who ran from persecution, who were full of fear. They were just ordinary, ordinary people like you and me, but God used them incredibly. Compared to the 215 million believers of Jesus who are persecuted each year, we have it very easy in this country. But let's not allow complacency or apathy 
to rob us of the incredible fruit of seeing people come to know Jesus. That's why this church was planted. This is a church for the unchurched, not a club for its members. And as much as we want to encourage each other and build each other up and pray through each other's difficult situations and find healing and personal growth and all those things that are very, very good, the reason we're here on earth is to reach the unchurched. Everything else we can do in heaven. We can have wonderful worship times in heaven. But the one thing we can't do is see more people come to faith. If you've never led someone to Jesus, it is the most incredible thing. It really is amazing. Uh, It's an experience I can recommend to everybody. To see someone being born spiritually, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know how to describe it, it's just amazing. And as I said, we have the same Holy Spirit in us who was poured out on the early church. He can do the same miracles today, and he wants to lead people to Jesus today. We have an incredible opportunity. It is God's desire that every single person on this planet will experience his incredible love and be able to respond to him. And that includes Oxford and the Oxford area. There is no place that is too difficult. There is no person who is too far away from God to be able to come back to him. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel a bit overwhelmed. It's a big task, isn't it? (laughs) There aren't that many of us. Um, Oxford's a tough place spiritually. Yes, we know all about that. Uh, We're not being thrown into prison yet. We're not having our uh, heads removed yet. One phrase that I've found really helpful is do for one person what you would like to do for many. And whether that's uh, serving the poor, do for one person. You can't can't fix the the problem of poverty in Oxford this week. But what we can do is just do for one person what we would like to do for many. We can't lead every single person in the Oxford area to Jesus. But we can talk to one person this week. We can pray for one sick person this week. There are opportunities there. So let's not be overwhelmed by the size of the problem, but let's take the opportunities that God gives us. And let's encourage each other. Let's pray for each other for boldness. Let's uh, help to pick each other up when we hit failures, when we fall flat on our face, which we will do from time to time because we're human. We're not quite as good at this as Jesus was. And... uh, Let's encourage one another daily, as the Bible says, because we need it, and we need to keep going. We need to keep focused on this. And I believe God is going to give us some wonderful fruit this, uh, this autumn and before. Tap Social will take about 60 people in their upstairs area. So assuming it's 50-50 followers of Jesus and seekers, then uh, that's potentially 30 people who could come to know Jesus through Alpha this autumn. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see that? So let's stand together. Now, all of you are followers of Jesus, uh, so you've got it. You've got the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need for life and godliness, as the Bible says. You have God's anointing with power. Uh, You have the gifts of the Spirit available available to you 24-7.
So what are you going to do with it? You may need to move around a bit for this, uh, and I'm doing this because there aren't people here who don't know Jesus. Uh, even though some of you may find this a bit of a stretch, just go with it, uh, and you can complain to me afterwards. Um, but I want you to go and lay hands on someone. Just find somebody near you and place a hand on their shoulder. And we're going to pray together, and we're going to pray for each other like that. So find somebody near you, place a hand on their shoulder, because we're going to ask God for his blessing. And you can pray for them, they can pray for you. It's a mutual kind of thing. And uh... So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. We thank you that we can come before the throne of grace with boldness because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you that our sins are forgiven. They are completely wiped out. That as we sang earlier, that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. That is the power of the good news. We thank you that every single one of us has been brought into relationship with you. That we are no longer sinners. We are your children. We're no longer rejected. We have been accepted by the God, the King, the Father of the universe. We thank you that uh, all those things that used to be part of us are not true of us anymore. But we are your children. We're accepted. We are anointed. We are called. And much, much more. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. And uh, just start praying your best prayer for the person that you're with or the, the couple of people that you're with. Just uh, pray for boldness for them. Pray for uh, what in your wildest dreams, what would you like God to do for them? What would you like God to do for them? Would you love to see them being able to heal the sick and raise the dead? Would you love for them to be able to see maybe one person come to know Jesus this year or maybe half a dozen, maybe a dozen, maybe 50, maybe a 100? These things are possible. Causeway Coast Vineyard, they prayed in 2004 for 100 people to be born again that year, and 104 people were born again. Every single year since then, they've seen over 100 people born again. And so we come with boldness. You can just carry on praying as I'm yabbering away. Just uh, start praying. I'm just making a bit of noise so that you can start praying with boldness. Pray it like you mean it. Pray it like you uh, are excited about God. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than feel, feel your way into an action. And so pray with boldness, pray with confidence, and uh, ask God for things, and then proclaim things. I release the anointing for healing in a fresh way in this church. I release the anointing of boldness in this church, of courage when you feel fearful. I release the anointing of preaching the good news, speaking the good news to those who are far from God. I bless you with insight and wisdom to be able to see impossible situations and see what God wants to do there. I bless you with an anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit that is way beyond anything you have ever experienced. I bless you with the anointing of God following you around wherever you are, in your meeting places, in your workplaces, uh, in your shopping, in your social times. I bless you with dreams and visions. I release dreams and visions out into the Muslim community during Ramadan this year. We bless that in Jesus' name. Father, thank you that that is what you do, that you've done it. 
You've done it there, you're going to do it here, you've done it for them, you will do it for us. And we receive this and we say yes, Jesus, to everything that you want to do. Holy Spirit, we ask for more. We're not satisfied, just like those apostles who weren't satisfied with thousands of people coming to faith. We're not satisfied. We know there is more. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you that uh, you are going to bring many people to know you. We thank you that you've drawn each one of us into relationship with you. We thank you for the incredible things you've already done for us. We thank you for the hundreds of people who've come to know Jesus through this church. We thank you. We thank you for the people who've gone out from this church, the churches that have been planted, the way that you've reproduced ministry and leadership through this church out into the nations, and we ask that you do that again. We ask for more. More Holy Spirit. Okay, if you start to draw your prayers to a close, I hate to interrupt. I can see some of you are in really, really flowing with this, which is great. Some of you may find this a bit more of a struggle. That's okay as well. But uh, we have run out of time, and children do need to be picked up from Vineyard Kids. Remember what boldness feels like. It's when your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, and your heartbeat is racing and you don't know what to say, that's the point for boldness to break through. That is when God's anointing comes. So God bless you. May God bless you with favor at work. May God bless your finances. May God bless your relationships. May God bless your sleep. And above all, may you be blessed with the incredible awareness of just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. So I bless you in Jesus' name. If you have children, you do need to pick them up now, please.